And welcome back to another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. We are back from our summer vacation. And when I say summer vacation, really wasn't much of a vacation. Uh, if you are familiar, obviously, I work at 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee. We've been gearing up for our Packers coverage. And look, at after 92 years on WTMJ Radio, they started broadcasting Packers games in 1929. And when the rights were up, the group that I work for, iHeartMedia, uh, we went for it. And the uh, Packers and our station management, uh, which on the periphery includes me as the sports director at 97.3 The Game, you know, we've been working with them since the contract, which, you know, that's way, way up the pay grade for me. Uh, that is way up the ladder. And, uh, you know, I was informed that we were getting the Packers. I was not told that I was going to be part of the negotiations for the Packers because I was not. However, with my experience with the Packers Radio Network, it's been a blast getting back into kind of the mix of being the flagship station of the most storied franchise in football and one of the most storied franchises uh, worldwide in all of sports, and to be able to once again, and it's the same room, uh, to have an office at Lambeau Field, uh, it's it's pretty trippy, and I enjoy it. And I'm so blessed to be a part of such a great group here that's so excited going into their first year as part of the Packers Radio Network. So um, it's a little bit old hat for me. I first started working for the Packers Radio Network uh, my first stint at WTMJ starting in 1996. So I've got a little bit of experience with it, but things have also evolved over time as well. So, look, you're not going to necessarily hear this. There's some copyright issues for that iconic song, but if you do listen to 97.3 The Game during the off season, and we'll also play one back during... The bye week, which is the second week of December. This is going to be the music that will kind of let you know that it is a Packers, we call it Packers Prime, but these Packers replay games from the past. And we've got some good ones coming up. We played some good ones, but I didn't have access to all of the good ones. And now I'm getting more access to things like Super Bowl 45 and the NFC Championship game from 2010. And maybe if you want to throw in the Ice Bowl, that's a possibility as well. I've got a copy of the Ice Bowl that uh, now we can play on 97.3 of the game. But we'll let you know as far as what the uh, ne- the, the latest in the next Packers Prime broadcast is going to be. We're going to get to the Packers in just a couple of minutes. I did want to hit, uh, and as you might suspect, I, I've had a lot of time to stew on a lot of things because we haven't done uh, this podcast in a hot minute, but the Brewers trade, which seemingly is going to be the trade that defines their 2022. Uh, Josh Hader sent to the San Diego Padres in exchange for reliever Taylor Rogers, left-handed prospect Robert Gasser, right-hander, and he didn't last very long, but Denilson Lamette, we'll get to that in a second, and uh, outfielder Estiri Ruiz, that, at least according to ESPN, came together after the Brewers fielded extensive offers and interest for Hader. This is going to be the trade that defines the Brewers' season in 2022. When the trade was made, my feeling was, well, hopefully they got back enough prospects that this at least is going to be 
a wash, perhaps, maybe a slight plus, based on the fact that you've got four players, including Lamette, who has a really live arm. He's had some injury issues, but he's got one of the best sliders in the game. He was the player that I was most excited for the Brewers to get. And then they DFA'd him, and the Rockies picked him up off of waivers. The Brewers were hoping that he would clear waivers and then that they could uh, sign him to a minor league contract and have him pitch at AAA Nashville. Now, that didn't happen, obviously. The Brewers uh, still active in the trade market. They went out and they got Matt Bush. Now, the early returns on Matt Bush haven't been great, but, again, that's why they call them early returns. The early returns for the Padres, look, they got swept by the Dodgers right after they made the trade for Josh Hader, as well as the trade for Juan Soto. But my statement at the time was, and it's still true, but maybe more magnified, that the Brewers did not improve by making this trade in 2021. Will they be better in 2023? Perhaps. Will they be better in 2024? Yes, because Josh Hader wasn't going to be a member of the Milwaukee Brewers in 2024. They weren't going to pay 16 18 $22 million a year for a closer. It's a bad way to allocate the resources that the Brewers have. Don't forget, they're on the hook right now for $26 million a year for a leadoff hitter. Now, if Christian Ellis can find his power stroke once again, then it looks like something that could be a benefit for the Brewers. But Christian Yelich right now is a singles-doubles hitter. He's turned into a very good leadoff hitter, which is, I mean, at least you're getting something out of him. But, you know, $26 million a year for baseball's smallest market team, that's, at the time, again, it's one of those things. Seemed like a good idea at the time, and it was. I mean, this was a guy who was coming off of an MVP season. Should have been the MVP in 2019 as well. Back-to-back batting champion. A guy who hit for power, he hit for average. This is a guy who could win a triple crown if you surrounded him with just a couple of other pieces in the line, just giving him just enough protection. He fouls the ball off of his leg. He misses the rest of the 2019 season, the last three weeks of the year. The Brewers lose to the Nationals, the eventual World Series champions in the wild card game. And then the pandemic hits. And you lose half of 2020. The Brewers, as well as the rest of Major League Baseball, only played 60 regular season games. Not nearly enough of a sample size to accurately say anything about anything in Major League Baseball. There's a reason that the season lasts 162 games. And even if you cut it down to 150 or 154 games like I advocate for, I think the product would be a little bit better. But still... As Craig Council likes to say, you are what your record says you are, especially after that many games. Things do even out. They level out in Major League Baseball over time. And that was a a small sample size. But Christian Yelich was awful in 2020. He never got on track, but he wasn't the only one. Offense seemed to be askew in the year 2020. So then you hoped that with a full spring training in 2021 and a full season in 2021, that Yelly would get it back together. Well, he didn't. He had another poor season. 
And then in the offseason between 2021 and 2022, there was baseball's lockout. Not the players couldn't go out and work out on their own. They absolutely could, but they were locked out in a very real sense. They couldn't go to any of the team facilities and get any treatment, talk to any of their coaches, really do anything related to Major League Baseball. Work out on your own. Great, but that's not a major league facility, even though a lot of these guys could afford to go out, and certainly Christine Elch, with the money that he's made during the course of his career, he could go out and seek out something that's not affiliated with Major League Baseball and get his workouts in. 2022 started off about as poorly as 2020 and 2021 for Yelly. So what do you do? And Mike Heller, who I have done... I don't know, about 100 radio shows with uh, over the last several months. He had the idea, and I'm he's not claiming it for himself, and I'm not claiming that the Brewers were listening and said, hey, you know what, that's, that's a good idea. But Mike said, you know what, maybe you should move into the leadoff spot as opposed to just dropping him in the order because a lot of people were saying, well, just drop him in the order. You can't bench him. You just drop him in the order. Because there are some things that are realistic, and then there are some things that aren't. You know, we have the talk and text line. At 97.3, the game. And you get a lot of bad ideas. And you get a lot of things that just aren't realistic on the talk and text line. There were some that were saying that the Brewers should just release him outright. Well, then you're still on the hook. And you would literally be getting nothing, nor with the ever-anticipated expectation that you could ever get something in the future from the investment that you made when you signed him to a guaranteed contract. You would literally be paying... Christian Yelich, $150 million for nothing, for literally nothing, for him to go to another team and potentially become the star that he was in 2018 and 2019. And don't forget, before he got to the Brewers, he was a pretty damn good hitter when he was with Miami Marlins, too. He exploded onto the scene as an MVP when he came to Milwaukee, but he was he was a good player before that, really good player before that. So you can't release him. Well, the Brewers should then just try to package him up and trade him for this, that, and trade him for prospects. Well, if you trade, let's pick a team, any team. Let's You trade Christian Yelich to the Dodgers, even the Dodgers, or the Yankees, or the Mets, or any of these deep-pocketed teams. Maybe the San Francisco Giants, not as deep of a pocketed owner in San Francisco as you've got in Los Angeles. Or even Anaheim, for that matter, with Artie Moreno and the Angels. But you trade him to anybody, the Brewers are still, because of the way that this trade would have had to go down, the Brewers still would have had to eat about $100 million of that contract. You're not going to do that either. Because you look desperate trying to trade a player that is a diminished value. Well, if you're going to trade a diminished value, you're going to have to pay a premium on that. And you're going to have to pick up about $100 million of that $170 million that's left on his deal. Brewers obviously weren't going to do that. So you're kind of stuck with him. That's the reality of being a Milwaukee Brewers fan. When you do sign, and maybe this will turn out to be a a good contract. Maybe it won't, but maybe it will. The Brewers certainly have signed some bad contracts over the years. Jeff Supon was a bad contract. Randy Wolf was a bad contract. Matt Garza, by the end, was a bad contract. Kyle Loesch was a bad contract. All of these veteran players that you sign these contracts to and with, you know, they turn out to be bad investments. But when you are the Milwaukee Brewers, as opposed to the Yankees or the Mets or the Dodgers or the Angels or any of these other teams, 
You're stuck with those contracts because the Mets can afford, because they bring in about $200 million more a year in local revenues than the Brewers do, you can afford to make a mistake. If the Mets were to have signed Christian Yelich and signed him to uh, a contract that paid him $26 million a year and it didn't work out, they could either trade him and eat that contract and no one would ever notice it because that's a rounding error in the Mets front office as opposed to a potential albatross around the neck of the Brewers accountants. In New York, you don't you don't even notice that stuff. You don't ever talk about that stuff. San Diego's a good example of that right now, too. I mean, that's a team that is doling out money hand over fist. I mean, whether it you know Manny Machado a couple of years ago, they bring in Blake Snell. They pay Fernando Tatis Jr. Now they've got Juan Soto. They're gonna to try to keep him. Certainly they can afford to, if they want, to keep Josh Hader as well. They you know, there are haves and there are have nots. And and that's why you rely on the brain trust, David Stearns, president of baseball operations, Matt Arnold, the general manager. And before David Stearns, it was Doug Melvin running the baseball operation. You rely on those guys to not make mistakes. And as far as David Stearns, his track record is pretty damn good. If anybody has earned the benefit of the doubt, Yeah, David Stearns has absolutely earned it. But this trade is a stinker. Especially after Lamette was DFA'd. Because the apologists for this trade will look at Taylor Rogers and his overall numbers in 2022 against Josh Haders in 2022, and they'll say, look, they've got almost identical numbers. Except for the fact that all of Josh Haders' implosions came within about a week and a half span leading up to the All-Star break. Josh Hader has been one of the elite closers in Major League Baseball, but moreover, what this trade did is it decimated the chemistry of the clubhouse. And that's not fair to Rodgers, and it's not fair to any of the other guys that eventually will come with, uh, in and play for the Brewers, whether it's Robert Gasser, whether it's Hysteria Ruiz. And Taylor Rodgers is a free agent after the end of the, at the end of the season. But when you DFA Lamette, so what, now I don't know what you're doing. You knew that Josh Hader at some point was going to be traded. I certainly knew that he was going to be traded. I just didn't know that it was if it was going to happen. There were three opportunities. Let's start there. This year's trading deadline in the season where he did get dealt, that was one of them. In the offseason, and then next year, at the trading deadline. Now, next year at the trading deadline, you probably didn't want to do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, you would have been looked at as a seller. We'll get to that in a moment. And you also would have gotten less in return because there's only, you know, three months of, of player control or two months of player control at the end of his contract. Then he hits full free agency and then he can get whatever he can get out on the open market, assuming that he doesn't resign with the team that traded for him. And I don't know whether or not he's going to resign with the Padres or not. I'm his agent, I'm sure, is going to, if he continues on being the, the best closer in baseball, his agent certainly will want him to go out and test the free agency waters. But the other part about this deal is that there weren't any subsequent deals that made you believe that the Brewers weren't doing anything other than prematurely dumping salary. Because this was a team that was in first place. Now, they're not in first place as I record this. Cardinals have gotten red hot. 
and maybe the Brewers. You you can't predict whether or not a team is going to get red hot or ice cold over the course of a season. Baseball is just, it happens. Teams get hot, teams get cold. And at the end of the season, like I said about, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, you are what your record says you are. And in this case, the Brewers' record is dwindling. And now, I'm not saying that if they would have kept Josh Hader, they wouldn't have had another stretch where they struggled. Now, this is the second stretch during the season where the Brewers have really struggled scoring runs and keeping leads. There are no guarantees in sports, in other words. But what this trade did was that it signaled to the guys in the clubhouse, you don't think that we can win the World Series as constructed right now, so you're selling off some parts to try to regroup for either 2023, 2024. And I, and I hesitate to say anything beyond 2024 because after the 2024 season, the two big free agents that are going to hit the open market, assuming that they don't get extensions prior to that, and if you're either Brandon Woodruff's agent or especially Corbin Burns' agent, you don't want to take any discounts at all. You don't want to lock yourself into something that you couldn't get out on the open market because you're probably going to max out your value in this upcoming contract. The next deal that Woodruff and Burns sign is going to be a massive deal. Probably, not definitely, but probably the biggest contract of their careers. Are you going to do that with Milwaukee or are you going to do that with somebody else? It's hard to say. I don't think that you're a bad player or a disloyal person. If you go out and seek out a a deal that maximizes your value, we'd all do that, right? doesn't matter what your profession is. If you're a teacher, for example, and another school district is going to give you more money and better benefits, you're going to look real hard at that and say, yeah, I'm comfortable here, but I could do this, that, or the other thing with that that much more money and those better benefits at this other school district. Or if you're an accountant, maybe there's another firm that will pay you more, give you a better title, better benefits, you know, whatever. And you're going to jump ship because that's what we all do. We all want to better ourselves. Baseball players are no different. Professional athletes are no different than that. So I hesitate to say anything beyond 2024. So... If it's chips into the middle of the table and you're you know, looking at a guy like you think that Jackson Churio is going to be ready by then, and he might be. He's 18 years old and he's ripping up the minor leagues right now at last check. And, and he might be promoted by the time you listen to this. I don't know. Right now he's at, uh, in Appleton playing for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers in high A ball. You know, it's you're, you're looking at the construct of what your best chance is to hoist a trophy that you've never hoisted before. Brewers haven't been to a World Series, obviously, as if you're paying attention at American Family Field last weekend, it's been 40 years! Now, they've come close a couple of times. They came close in 2011, came within two games, and they came within a couple of innings in 2018 against the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series. But they've never hoisted the Commissioner's Trophy. 
If it's not going to be 2024 with the players that they currently have under control, that might be your last best shot for a while. So that's why I don't understand what they were doing with this trade. If you didn't have the trade value coming back to you that you thought that you should get, and maybe maybe they did. Maybe David Stearns and Matt Arnold did. I don't know, but that doesn't explain why you DFA'd Denelson Lynette or Lamette and, and let him and exposed him to be picked up by another team, in this case the Colorado Rockies. You've made the team worse in 2022. Yeah, you want that bite at the apple. Everybody wants the bite at the apple. And the Brewers, to their credit, and this is because David Stearns has been so good at his job and Matt Arnold has been so good at his job and Craig Council has been so good at his job getting the most out of, if you're Stearns and Arnold, getting the most out of what Mark Ananasio gives you in terms of payroll. And then Craig Council, you've done the most, you know, getting the most out of your players and, and holding them accountable It's an elite brain trust that this team has right now, but they have made this team worse for 2022, and I don't think that anybody else can argue to the contrary. You always want the bite at the apple, but at some point you you want to go for it. In my opinion, if you didn't get the deal that you think you could have and should have gotten for Josh Hader this deadline season that has passed you wait until the off season and then he field multiple offers and then you know that's your that's your off season to the highest bidder best closer in baseball will go whether or not they can snap out of this funk i guess time will tell right you are what your record says you are never forget all right moving on to the packers uh, coming up on our next show, I did a bunch of interviews in the locker room with guys like Aaron Jones and uh, Eric Stokes, A.J. Dillon, uh, Amari Rogers, Romeo Dobbs. We're going to play those on our next show. But just to kind of whet your appetite a little bit, earlier today Aaron Rodgers met reporters in front of his locker at, Le- uh, at Lambeau Field. He's not going to play on Friday night in the preseason opener at San Francisco. Not that you thought that he would, but Jordan Love's looked great in camp so far this year. Hopefully we'll hear from uh, Jordan Love coming up on our next show leading up to Friday night's uh, lid lifter of the season. Friday night's preseason opener, if you will, at San Francisco. But here's Aaron Rodgers uh, as we tape this earlier today, earlier on Wednesday at his locker in Green Bay. What do you get out of a vet rest day at this point? And what kind of goes into that decision for you? I told Matt, I said, I'm never going to ask for a vet, de- a vet day. But I think I am the oldest player on the team, and if he was, you know, thinking about it, uh, this week being the, probably the most difficult week with uh, Sunday indoors and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday pads, basically, that I wouldn't mind it. Uh, that being said, the work that goes on in the Hudson Center when they're outside is probably more strenuous than the practice, so not exactly a vet day when it comes to the cardio. Well, I think a lot of a lot of good has happened from you know me breaking my toe last year gave him a lot of opportunities to take the one reps in practice. But as much as in this year, you've seen the fundamentals really start to kind of come together. Year three, two to three is always an interesting year from development for a quarterback. I know I took a big jump, one, two, and two to three, but. 
Tom Clements, I think, deserves a lot of credit for harping on the fundamentals in the way that he always did for me as a young player. And it seems to be sticking in for Jordan. And you know, he's been having some good practices. And anything, any chance he gets to take a you know, the majority of the reps like today is, is always a good opportunity. How much for someone like you that obviously knows the position at a very high level, can you tell that he's maybe made a jump? How much are you just waiting to see when he's not in that red jersey and, and it's actually a How much do you need to see? Well, I mean, I, I've said it before. I, I think the practice reps are as important as, as the preseason reps. Preseason, you know, you want to be efficient. You want to look good. But there's almost an expectation of playing well because it's very limited defense usually. Now, we used to play Tennessee back in the day, and they played their starters. That was more of a game-like situation. We usually got hammered our second and third teams playing against them. But um, it's, it's a lot more vanilla on defense. So I think the practice reps, a day like today, you know, it's good film for them to watch going against our one defense. Obviously, it's been very difficult for us uh, throughout training camp. So, But it just comes down to consistency with the fundamentals. When he throws the ball on time and in rhythm, he's been very accurate this camp. Um, it's just finding ways to be more consistent you know, every single time with those fundamentals. And, and it's been, you know, I feel like it's been kicking in for him. He's been playing well. Aaron, a big night for the twos, obviously, on Friday night. It's the biggest week for the ones when you go live periods with Saints for two days. Yeah. That, I mean, is that the, the most you're going to get out of this camp? Well, I mean, I think it's every day that we go against our ones. You know, I, I said it day one, no pads. We had a pretty good day. Since then, defense has been pretty good just about every other day. And it's important for us to take our lumps because there's a lot of positions that are up for grabs uh, up front, you know, at, at the tackle position with, with Dave and, and Elton, you know, nursing their injuries and coming back whenever they can. Tight end, there's a lot of opportunities. Running back behind AJ and, and Aaron, there's a lot of opportunities. Uh, receiver, a lot of opportunities. So this is, this is great film and great practice going against that defense. Um, Saints will be interesting. You know, you never know what you're going to get. When we played the Texans a couple of years ago. It was very basic stuff. Uh, they, I mean, I remember a period in the red zone, they were dropping eight like every single play. I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> are we actually getting some work in? But then last year against the Jets, you know, I feel like it was pretty, pretty intense. Uh, they ran some different stuff. You know, that was maybe the familiarity with uh, Coach Sala and, and, and Coach LaFleur. But we'll see what happens. The Saints... You know, and Dennis, they've been very aggressive defense, so we'll see how they play in the, in the two days we're together. Hopefully, we don't have a lot of fights, but I would assume there's going to be a couple. What is the process like when you are building a relationship with a new receiver that maybe you haven't spent a lot of time with? Process? Yeah. Well, you got to trust the coaching, first and foremost. So I need to have a lot of conversations with with Jason and make sure we're on the same page so the thing that's being taught is the thing that I want to see on the field. Jason does a really good job at that, which is important. you got to trust the leaders in the room, uh, you know, specifically Randall and Allen, to pass the message along the right way. And then you got to hold them accountable. And when you get reps with us, you, know, you want to see the right, the right stuff. That being said, you know, you're going to coach – the second team and the third team just as just as much because you never know who's going to be in that spot. Alan Lazard was working in the yellow group for a while, and you know you're watching that film just like you're watching the green group and the first group. Uh, we need to see consistency from those guys, and there's a lot of different aspects to earning the trust of the quarterback. Whether I'm playing or Jordan's playing in the preseason here, you, you want to see the guys doing the right stuff, and it's it's little things. It's it's the stem on the routes. It's, it's uh, the, what they do at the top of the route. It's a scramble drill. It's the adjustments. It's being alert for the signals. 
there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, and, and we're going to be hard on them and, and coach them hard. And if you're talking to a, if I'm talking to a guy, that, that's a good thing. If I'm getting on a guy, it's a good thing. If I'm not talking to you, uh, that's not the best. You, you want me to be to be critiquing and coaching you up and and letting you giving you some good feedback. And I've been trying to with as many guys as as I feel like. Uh, you know, have an opportunity to be a part of this squad. With all that said about all the opportunities on offense, how good things are on that side. Matt hasn't shut the door yet. Yeah. Do you have any? Do you see any need or any benefit of you playing in the preseason all considering how many things are on that side? I don't see any benefit to it. I definitely don't see any benefit to playing one series. Um, you know, if we're going to play, we should play and play. A quarter, a couple series, two or three series. If we're going to just suiting up for four plays, to me, is a waste. So, and I'm not saying this to send a message to Matt. I've already told Matt the same thing. So we'll see what happens when we when we get there. Um, it'd be nice if that were the case. If Kansas City was playing some of the guys too, but you know, when you have a, a stinker like we did last year in Week One, there's always going to be. The second guessing of what happened in training camp, should we have played more, should we have played in the first game, the second game, whatever it might be. Um, I don't want to overreact to that. Matt doesn't either. But if we feel like we need to go out there and play a quarter or more, you know, that'll be Matt's call. I'm sure he'll lean on me and Big Dog and, and Alan and some of the older guys uh, to see what they're thinking. But if we play, we should play and not just play three plays, three runs, and punt it. That doesn't do anything for any of us. The point of that last year was to preserve you, your, your bodies for the, the full season. So we've had to stay here and make one in the top seed. Would you say that the plan that's it. I mean, that's the question. You know, there's injuries in football all the time. So I think it's kind of a no-win situation to the outside the building and if somebody gets hurt oh i can't believe they played our guys but if we go out and have a stinker i can't believe they didn't play them so i think it's just you just got to do what's best for for the squad and matt's going to do that he's going to lean on you know the leaders of the football team and if he feels like we need to go out and play we'll go out and play but I don't want to just go out and play three plays. That, to me, is a waste of time. Aaron, back to the... Is there an ideal number for you for how many you'll carry on the roster? No, I don't think so. I think it's we need to have the 53 most deserving players on the team. There's been years we've kept five tight ends. There's been years we've kept seven receivers. Years we've kept four or five backs. It's got to be the 53 most deserving. Now, there's obviously you know some stuff that goes into that, uh, where guys are drafted, Different things like that, which we know in Green Bay plays into it. But uh, there'll be a, there'll be some tough cuts, which is good. There'll be some tough cuts at a number of different positions. Receiver, with the way Rich is doing things, we need guys who are playing teams at that four, five, and six receiver spot. So whoever's balling out on teams should probably get those four, five, and six spots. They're not going to be playing with me a whole lot, so they got to ball out when they get opportunities and and listen and pay attention and, and do things the right way. The the drops are going to happen. The you know guy slips might happen, but what can't happen if you want to be on the team is is the mental part, the preparation. I think is and the effort. You know those are things that come from within. So as long as you're showing effort and you're getting after it and you're doing the right thing, you got a good chance to make the team. But 
four, five, six, seven's got to be playing on teams and got to be playing well. Aaron talks a lot about what they need to do. What have they Like four years ago, I don't know if I've ever seen you as pissed as you were at the Sears that day. You ran the cards, and you said that their effort was piss poor, and Jake was the only one that really did stuff. Has, has this group been good about doing the things they need to do, or is there a lot of room for improvement? I mean, maybe you're some, you know, with everything that's changed, maybe you're softer and I wouldn't say that about this group like you did that one, but it seems like they've been better than that group was. That group had, a, had some lapses in effort from time to time, and I probably am a little gentler, as Kabi would say, but the effort hasn't really been an issue. The mental part, for sure. There's been some real strange mental errors from time to time. But they do it quickly. You know, they do it with speed. That day, as I remember, it was just a total lack of effort, which was bizarre to me because I love the Carter periods. And it's a chance to go out and dice them up with other people's plays and and ad-lib and, you know, just go full speed and, and make some plays. These guys... They busted. They for sure busted. And they're all talented athletically. But mentally, there's been some lapses for sure. Yeah, a lot of it's great. I was sitting down at lunch with, with uh, Romeo yesterday. And, you know, there are a couple plays that, that he would love to have back. And I said, it's the best thing that could happen. Because I'd rather it happen, you know, on a Monday in August than on a game day in September. You know, he had a play where he was supposed to let Ja go and block probably 59, who was coming out on a blitz. He went to get Ja. It looked really bad. And I'm like, this is the best thing that could happen. Now, how do we correct that is the next time the situation comes up, we got to do the right thing. But mistakes are going to happen. And the most important thing is to learn from those mistakes, not make repeat mistakes. There's been too many of those, I think, from some of those guys who were on the, really on the bubble to make the squad of – you know, scramble drill alerts and making sure you know the signals and the adjustments, kind of like expecting those things. But that's a process. You know, first you got to be an expert of what you're doing and then be able to feel the timing of the adjustments or the cans or what I might be thinking or how to read a coverage. And that's why I said in the beginning we need to have a lot of patience and the expectations need to be reasonable. But I will say... Between 88 and 87, there's been a lot of positive things that uh, makes you feel good about the depth we could have in that room. Aaron, during, uh, during that, after that first day you mentioned that the defense is going to kick your butt and all that, at what point do you want the offense to start turning the tables there? I don't know if we're going to. I mean, they're a talented bunch. I'd like to stalemate every day. And I think that's possible. It starts with up front. Yesterday, I felt like the energy up front was not, was not I mean, from the entire group. There was, we were just a little bit gassed for whatever reason. Um, sometimes that happens after a hard indoor practice where you kind of come out and, you know, maybe a little more tired that day. Uh, who knows? If, you know, maybe guys didn't sleep all the night before. Or whatever the, the issues were, we didn't have the energy that we usually do up front. Um, but when we're getting after it up front, and running the ball, well, which we have on certain days, it allows us, you know, to, to get after them a little bit in the passing game. But we got three really talented corners. We got two backers who can really fly. So it's going to be tight windows in the passing game. We got a bunch of young guys playing. Um, 
Um, but I feel like if we run the ball effectively, we have a few days where I feel like we've really gotten after him up front. Uh, that's good for us. But it's I want us to take our lumps. And if we're taking our lumps this training camp, it's going to be uh, probably a little easier once we get to the, the real thing. Jordan Jordan Lyons, 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 Lyons. like that the defense is uh, winning most days. You're okay with the progress? I mean, it's, yeah. Is that for the same? Yeah. I mean, I think it's important. How do we how we deal with adversity is is how we reveal the character of our football team, especially on offense. And you know, we're gonna we need to take our lumps and figure out what kind of football team we're gonna be. So I love it. I mean, it's great. I mean, it great feels feels good. The defense having the confidence. There's been some training camps we beat the hell out of them, and doesn't do great for their confidence. You know, but but when they're when they're confident and, and Joe is opening up the playbook and and running a bunch of crazy stuff at us. It's great because we'd love to see, from an offense standpoint, be aggressive as you possibly can, you know, and, and we'll take care of our business, but you guys be aggressive and, and attack. And when it looks good against us, I think it's going to look good against other people too. So, Jordan, that young offensive line going to get to where, because you keep saying you don't have 69, you don't have 74. You also don't have Lucas Patrick. You also don't have Billy Turner, who were veteran guys. You played a ton of games. Yeah. There's a bunch of young guys up there. You had to go into Minnesota on September 11th with them. How much? How far can they get between now and then? If that's what you have to go. With? Yeah, we'd have to really be smart about how we're playing uh, in that situation. We've done it before. We've played against San Fran uh, multiple times with uh, with not our starters off the edge and. And sometimes done a nice job, and sometimes struggled. So, I think that there's, you know, there's definitely some spots open. There could be, you know, there could be interest in people not in the building right now. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to Goody about that. But we need to see those guys step up and and somebody take it over. Um, I feel good about Yash. You know, he's played a lot of football for us. Um, Royce has been working at guard and tackle. He's a smart dude. I feel like he's been playing more underneath himself with his feet in a better base. But we need consistency out of those guys. Those guys are going to play, too. They're all young guys. They're going to play in the preseason. And we need to see them play well and, and have some really good moments so we feel good going into Minnesota and and, and that pass rush that they got. Friday night, Friday night, uh, Jordan being his father. Has he gone through as much ridicule or criticism or doubt that you did from 05 to 08? Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I think there's always pressure on a first-round pick. Uh, the tracks are looking more similar by the day. You know, him being in his third year and me waiting behind Brett for three years. Something clicks in at some point, and the game slows down, and you and you make the plays that you know you're capable of making. And I look forward to watching him on Friday and and uh, and against the Saints as well. But the most important thing for a quarterback is that confidence and. The confidence comes from the consistency and the fundamentals and making plays in practice and feeling good about the offense and, and all the things that are expected of you. But, you know, I think all of us come along at our own pace. I needed, you know, the years to get to where I was at. And whether the criticism was equal in 05 and 06 and 07 for me as it was for him, I don't know. You know, some of that uh, you kind of move past as you've had success. But... Um, but I'm excited for him uh, this preseason. I think he's had a really nice camp. 
made some good throws, more consistent with his fundamentals, and, and I, I hope he goes out and balls out. Aaron, it's yesterday you hit Allen on a real quick hitter up the seat in the face of pressure. That's something you guys want to get. It seems like you guys used to hit that quite a bit against blitzes and dogs and stuff, but it didn't seem really prevalent for the last couple of years. Is that something you're trying to... Well, we don't, we don't see a lot of pressure anymore. Yeah. I mean, we really don't. We don't see a lot of... A lot of that type of pressure, we'd love to do that. I mean, that's part of the offense. You know, there's been a lot of those over the years to Donald and Greg and Cobby and Jordy against Minnesota. You know, it was a great one that went for about 70 for a touchdown. But, you know, our defense has been aggressive, and, and it's nice, and it forces us to stress our protection adjustments and schemes, and sometimes you got to get that vertical hot. So, but teams, if you watch, you know, you watch the games, we're not seeing a bunch of pressure. We're seeing some five-man online scrimmage pressure, but we're not seeing a lot of second, second-level stuff. Not a lot of backers, you know, occasional nickel off the slot, but we just don't see the same type of pressure. So we're not getting the same type of opportunities. We get the, you know, maybe three or four times a year. But back in the day, teams being a little more aggressive against us, we had more chances. Here, more your experience when you were a backer. Is it more important to follow the plays to the letter, or is it more important to move the ball by hook or crook, given you know, you're playing with some guys who might not be doing the right assignments? What do you think the coaches look for more? That's, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, the scrutinizers want to see movement and points and, and scoring drives, for sure. I believe the coaches would want to see... Uh, perfection and execution perfection in execution and that comes from a mastery of the system and I think that's the most important thing so sometimes we get caught up in you know big plays or points on a drive those are great and those feel good but the most important thing is are you making the right can you're making the right check you're making the right adjustment you're getting us in and out of the huddle you commanding the operation because preseason football is different. You know, you're out there a lot of times with young guys. You're over, you need to over-communicate. Some wild stuff happens. Some guys miss blocks. Some guys run the wrong way. Obviously, there's, there's an art to making that work. But the most important thing is a mastery of the position because that, that shows the coaches and, and your guys that, that you're, uh, you, you know, you're ready to go. Um, again, practice is very important, and you need to show a mastery in practice as well. The games... There's some survival to it. Obviously, you want to score points, but I think it still comes down to to are you showing the staff that you have the mastery of all things quarterback. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. It's good to be back. It's good to have some fresh shows for you. It's good to have some material coming back. We're going to do this uh, I, hopefully on at least a weekly basis and give you a good preview of the Packers game coming up and the Badgers games that are coming up this fall. I'm excited to rededicate myself to the podcast, have just a tiny little bit more time right now, believe it or not, during football season to bang one or two of these out a week. So we're going to do that. And uh, looking forward to talking to you guys again on a regular basis here on the Doug Russell Podcast. If you want to hit us up, feel free to do so. I haven't managed the social medias very much because, again, we've been on hiatus. We've been on a little bit of a vacation, a little bit of a break. But you can always find us on Twitter at Doug Russell Pod. That is the same address for our Instagram page as well. I'll have to update those before we post the show today. Uh, but you can also hit us up if you want to send us an email, DougRussellPod at gmail.com. All right. Enjoy the Packers preseason game coming up. Again, it's not on WTMJ anymore. So I know that they're going to get flooded with calls. I get it. 
old habits are hard to break. And this is a 92-year habit that Wisconsin sports fans and Packers fans in southeastern Wisconsin are going to have to break. But they're not on WTMJ anymore. They're on the station that I work at on 97.3 The Game. Wayne Larrabee's still going to be there. Larry McCarron's still going to be there. John Kuhn's still going to be there. So we would love you to be there as well. Uh, if you listen to 97.3 The Game on a regular basis, you already know this because we've been pounding the rock since April 1st, since we were first allowed to really talk about it. But, you know, tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell your neighbors' friends. All right, that's it for the show. Have a good one, and uh, we'll talk to you next time right here on the Doug Russell Podcast.